Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Victoria Benyon, and the founder of the Victoria Benyon Podcast Booking Agency. And you're listening to The Best Guest, the podcast for business owners, creatives, and entrepreneurs who want to harness the power of podcasts to grow their platforms and increase their visibility. We're here to support you on your journey, bringing you actionable tips with each episode. Now, let's begin. Welcome, Nathan. It's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me today, Victoria. Now, you have over 10 years experience helping B2B businesses with their marketing. Could you talk a bit about your journey uh, to becoming a marketing strategist? It's, it's not a conventional one, I can tell you that much. My journey, I was trained in school as a, as a marketing person, marketing it with, a, with actually a specialty in entrepreneurship. But my first job was actually a VP of finance for a petrochemical company in China, and then after that, I was a management consultant focusing, really working actually with a couple angel investors and mainly working with the companies that they acquired and repositioning those companies into different markets. And so through this entire journey, I saw marketing consistently through all the organizations, but I looked at them from very different lenses. So obviously my first job was financial. My second job was very strategic. And there was one just common theme that I, I constantly kept running into was there would be a lot of great ideas, but it doesn't didn't matter how many great ideas there were. I, I felt that operationally, the execution of marketing failed quite often. And one of the other reasons I, I got into this role was really because I had a lot of friends that run businesses. And, and it's really upsetting when I hear how you know jaded they are about hiring marketing people. There's a study out there. I can't remember who exactly it was, but it showed that marketing people uh, in terms of friction and skepticism is the highest skeptical service you could sell. So when a marketing person calls, the person on the other side of the phone has the highest level of skepticism across any professional services. Oh my and, goodness. <laughs> and it's terrible to think that. And that just shows how many people are so upset, jaded, scarred, bad experiences about marketing. And I was just getting super upset seeing some of my friends who ran businesses just get such poor service, such poor outcomes. And then, of course, I saw those poor outcomes when I was professionally working. And so just because I was always in marketing, I always dabbled in marketing. I always had side businesses where I did marketing. I really just kind of pushed forward on this idea. I wanted to create a marketing firm where not only do we provide really high level advisory services, which are really important for the guiding the marketing function, but I really wanted to also own and execute that so that I could feel accountable, but also see all of my ideas actually come to fruition in an environment of which I can control. Because I felt like when I was a management consultant, it was a lot about big ideas, but then handing over control afterwards. And that didn't always lead to great results. So that's that's kind of how I got to my role. That's really interesting. So a roundabout route you took. Very roundabout. <laughs> Not conventional at all. So if, if someone is looking to build a marketing team, what advice do you have about how they should go about that? That's a loaded question. <laughs> and it really depends on the business, right? So sure. how do you build marketing for a local business called a restaurant chain or a, a local print shop or any local specific business is very different than that of like a SaaS business, very different from that of a venture backed business. Um, predominantly, one of the things that I think is very important is I, I think a lot of people forget 
when they first start marketing, you you have to start with your lowest hanging fruit. It it, it is enticing for you to try to do the long term activities. But the reality is, is that most companies are capitally constrained, you know, human resource and talent constrained and time constrained. So you have these constraints. You just have to be realistic. And I, I call it like, what are your most sustainable and practical marketing methods that you yourself as a person can actually execute? And often that will be as simple as, hey, do you have any marketing case studies that actually showcase what you've done well? And often a lot of companies will say, well, I know what I've done well. I have some successes. I know. Okay. But have you, have you created a package that makes that very digestible in five seconds for a customer to see? And the answer is usually no. So that is called, called like call it product or sales enablement tools. And you want to focus on someone who can probably manage and do that as a, as a full role. So this isn't a person who's going to be building your brand. This is really much a person who's going to do a lot of busy work with some guidance from you. So building out your sales decks, building out your proposal decks, building out your one pagers, building out your case studies, I think are incredibly important in the first part of your business and really recommend every, every company to really try their best to showcase their successes in a digestible format. Because all those things that, that you talk about, they're so essential and yet they take time when you're running a business, don't they? So if you can have someone to help you with that, I think, yeah, you're, you're dead right. It's so essential. Yeah. And, and it's that old saying is, you know, always too busy working in the business and not on the business. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of strategies, what marketing strategies do you see working well now? So I think all marketing strategies work. And I know that's a nuanced thing that everyone on this call and audio will wince at, you know, saying, thanks, Nathan, Captain Obvious, high five. <laughs> but but really, and, and again, not something that everyone likes to hear, but really a, really a part of the story of, of what, how I introed myself is, is it's all about that execution. You know, whether it's email, whether it's performance media buying, whether it's PR, whether it's just sales enablement tools, whether it's word of mouth, it's really just like how well you execute that program. And, and, and generally speaking, the only reason I say all of them work is because they, they, they all work depending on the maturity of your organization. The only difference is, is what's going to be the mo the highest priority for your business to do today versus tomorrow versus three years from now. So every business, I think, should use SEO. And I know people will frown again on that. Um, why? Because I, I I personally feel that you can actually do SEO with very low resources right now in today's day and age. And there is a, a time factor that's, that's required for you to rank. So it's very important for you to start putting that content out now. And I think every company should do that from the get-go. So I think that's a huge valuable tactic that you know no, no one should really be delaying on. They should just start even if you don't think you can do a great job. The, the second one that you should do is, again, those sales enablement tools. Third is I, I definitely think email still works, but email has fundamentally changed. COVID has really forced email spam to go up. People are far more reluctant to read email. So what, what does that mean for you? You need to be different. You need to be better. You need to have more scale. So really thinking about how to build out your email infrastructure, how your cadences work, what do those sequences look like and how 
catered are those messaging to to your different parts of your total addressable market, your TAMs, is, is playing in a critical role. Retargeting is a massive thing that I feel like some people don't do because they don't have a, a paid media program. So rather than going into a paid media program predominantly with a focus of awareness, I would really recommend if you're tight on budget, you should you should definitely focus on doing a paid media program and maybe allocate 100% of that budget towards retargeting. And you and you really have to think about it this way. You're, you're, you're doing all this effort to get people to your website, doing all this effort to get people to see your content. You should definitely maximize that audience and ensure that you're staying very top of mind and frequent by using a retargeting method. So, so those are kind of some things that I think are critical, high priority and accessible to all. That's really good advice. So when it comes to SEO, are you talking about optimizing your website when you're putting pages up? What are the tactics that someone could use? Yeah, so I'll, I'll break down what SEO is to us in mm-hmm. our, my, my organization. And really there's there's on-site SEO and then there's off-site SEO. Predominantly on-site SEO uh, is, is part of really two um, facets. There's the content and then the structure of your website and the structure of your your on-site SEO. So the content is generally what most people focus on. I got to write good content. I got to post great content. The on-site structuring stuff is honestly a little bit of strategy. So you actually really have to think about how do you want your website to flow? How do your pages interact with one another and connect with one another? And then the last part is your on-site tagging and and kind of data entry. And I call this like the really boring but necessary part of SEO, where you're making sure your H1s, your H2s, your descriptions, everything on a very technical perspective is on point. And I'll I'll tell you why that data entry point is so, that data entry um, kind of process is so important is because people forget when Google crawls, they look at HTML. They don't look at a website. Right. So so just because aesthetically that looks like a header, if it's not properly an H1, then the Google bot is not going to read it as an H1 tag. It is using these tags very fundamentally to understand the page. It's not doing it visually. So that's on site. And then there's this course off site and off site is something called backlinking. And so for anyone that's listening, if you're if you're doing backlinking, just make sure that when I say backlinking, I mean really trying to get guest posts or people to engage with your articles and backlink to you. There are a ton of vendors out there that will sell you the dream. Um, they'll sell you, call it gray hat or even purely black hat um, links um, that can come from potentially hacked websites that could become uh, potentially from blog farms that are essentially fake websites that have fake authority. And and if you get those coming back to your website, that's not good. So. Offsite backlinking plays a huge role, but you got to be really careful about it. And and unfortunately, there are a ton of shortcuts doing that. Mm-hmm. And podcast interviews are good for backlinks. Podcast interviews are great for backlinks. <laughs> That's correct. Excellent. Can you talk a little bit about performance media buying that you mentioned and the level required to perform it well? That's also mm-hmm. another loaded question. <laughs> so. I talked a bit about my background at one point in my, my, my funny little career, I was also a super affiliate and you'll go, Oh, what do you mean by that? And well, people forget there's actually different type of affiliate models. So a lot of people think about affiliate model as like, Oh, I run like a mom blog and I sell like 
Tupperware and recipes and, you know, right. I sell KitchenAid and I make 10% from a KitchenAid sale. The, the other type of affiliate marketing is actually called media arbitrage. And media arbitrage is actually where I'm making a spread from acquiring customers. So say it takes me as a, as a media buyer, $5 to acquire that customer. And I'm selling that customer to someone else for $10. So I'm making a $5 spread. Ooh. And okay. so in, in, in media arbitrage, th that form of media buying, that form of affiliate marketing, it is purely performance driven to the most aggressive point. Because as you can imagine, I'm spending hard dollars out and I'm only making a spread. So the more I optimize, the better I do. The level of a super affiliate versus the average media buyer in terms of technical skill sets is a massive gap. Okay. And the reason it's a massive gap is because the stakes are 10 times higher for the media buyer. That's a, that's a super affiliate. And you know, what, what I guess I'm trying to say is there's, there's a lot of different levels for being a performance media buyer. And what I will simply say is Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, any platform, you have to remember their ad platform is being run by someone like me who's my job is to make it think, make you think that buying ads is easy. Okay. The truth is it's not. The truth is, is they're fully incentivized to sell as much as their ad inventory as possible to you in the hopes that you might find a market that's actually profitable. And then you start slicing up their market so that you only buy parts of the market, but they're fully incentivized for you to buy as much bad traffic as possible. That's really how they do it. And in order for you to be a good performance media buyer, I define it as you know how to manipulate the ad platform and you know how to get exactly what you want. And a very good example of that is time parting. You won't see time parting in a lot of platforms anymore because the reality is no one is really going to be a great buyer if they're clicking on your ads between 2 to 5 a.m. Right? Okay. Like they're yes. sleepy. They're possibly drunk. <laughs> you know, th there's no great reason for someone to be clicking on an ad, especially if you're an information product at 2 to 5 a.m. in the morning, unless you're an insomnia product. And 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 what ends up happening is all these platforms, they're like, oh, well, you got to buy that traffic. We don't we don't offer time parting anymore. I see. Right? Okay. So 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 then you go, well, how do how do I do better as a performance marketer? Well, you go, oh, maybe I can create a script that actually manually pauses my ads between two to 5 a.m. Right. And so, so this is kind of the difference between what I say as an average media buyer, like in any media buyer versus a media buyer who really knows what they're doing. And a media buyer really knows what they do. You go into a platform and you can manipulate the platform to buy exactly what you want. And, and that takes a lot of time and experience and skill. So don't be lulled into the sense of security that they've made this great UI and it's easy to use and you can buy things. I can almost guarantee you, you're never going to do well because all of the effort, all of that value comes from the minutia details that you get inside the platforms. I'll give you a great, another example, geo-targeting on most platforms are generally not that accurate, meaning there's probably like 20 to 30% bleeds when it comes to geo-targeting. Um, so unless you're a, like a, a big firm and you're actually paying for an ad server and you're actually filtering all this, the ad server you're going to get and the ad locations that you're going to get from the actual platforms aren't actually really amazing. Plus, they also have a bunch of different categories that really bleed it out even more. 
for if you want like hyper specific on Facebook, you know what you can do is you actually do um, a radius map and then you actually have to do exclusion radiuses around where you actually want to purchase. So again, rather than just clicking, you know, Toronto or Vancouver or, or a specific region, you actually have to go place a pin onto the map and then you got to place exclusion pins all around the map to make sure you're only getting this tiny little circle. And you can imagine that as any media buyer would go in there or anyone that's never done this before, they go, oh yeah, I just, I just buy the radius or I just put in the zip code and it's like easy, but they don't know that it bleeds a lot. If you want specificity, you gotta now spend 10 really annoying minutes placing tiny little pins to ensure you get this tiny neighborhood that you actually want. So this is this is kind of like the direct performance marketing that I think is really important and the nuances that come through time and it comes through a lot of experience and time. And if you want to learn, I recommend actually going on some affiliate marketing forums that that focus on media arbitrage and learning from those guys because they are they're they're the best. Media arbitragers are the number one manipulators of ad platforms and and they know they know what they're doing the most. I mean I absolutely didn't know that about the targeting that's yeah, it's awful. <laughs> I know that's that's really eye-opening. Thank you. Yeah, no, anytime. Um, so, is that something that you do a lot of paid media? Yeah, so we we run about a million to two million a year in paid media budgets, and and predominantly it's a, it's across different verticals. Uh, a majority of that actually comes from real estate. So we generate a lot of real estate leads for developers on their pre-construction sales. And, and then we do a lot of like media buying when it comes down to like B2B leads, but there's a huge difference, right? The lead generation from real estate is super high. It's super easy to optimize. B2B, as you can imagine, if I have a TAM of 1200 companies, that means I really only have like 3000 people in like all of North America that I can target. And so the, the data is actually much harder to deal with. So, so we media buy in, in these kind of areas. So we do lead generation for B2B businesses, and then we do lead generation specifically for real estate developers. Wow. That's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> so I, I have about 25 team members. That's the way. Okay. Could you explain why you pay for creative and why you would pay for operations? Why I would pay for creative and why would I pay for operation? Mm. So creative is definitely a thing you should pay for. On my little IG Reel channel, Marketing Bytes, I talk about the aesthetic usability effect, which, which is actually, there's several research articles that literally fundamentally prove that things that are aesthetically more appealing get more value, period, period. Like just, just purely through aesthetics. And, and so if you're not paying for creative and you're not a creative person, you got to realize that there's also another theory that's called the peak theory and also the series position theory. And both actually indicate that we as humans only remember generally our first and last impressions. So with all this in mind, if we know that aesthetics massively influences value, and we now also know by memory, but just naturally in our in our brain, we only really generally remember the first and last things. You have to know that if you're not paying for creative, you're basically shooting yourself in the foot for like one of the most massive and most impactful points that you're going to have with your client, right? 
So, right. so why do that? Right. And, and a lot of people go, well, why, why do I need a great website? Well, it's like, because most people judge your website within, I think it was like 500 milliseconds. So if you don't have a great website, that's aesthetically appealing. Well, you're going to lose that. You're going to lose that value. So you're just making your life harder. And generally, you know, I, I think there's not a ton of people in this world that are naturally creative. It is really a, an art. It is really a skill set, and it's really something that can be honed. And there really is a process to do that. So when you go to that marketing agency, and we don't, we don't, you know, propose it to to give out these types of packages where it's like a hundred grand for a brand. We're we're more like a fifteen to twenty five shop. You're really paying for an incredibly long and iterative creative process, right? Okay. You're not going to do this if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, and you're telling me that you can do this on your own. That person on Fiverr that you're getting for five dollars does not do this either. Okay, they're using they're using Midjourney. They're using something like you're not getting the same process. There's some there's a lot of thought put into this. So so that's why you should pay for creative. Now, why do you pay for operations? Well, that that one is a simple one for me. If you don't have the experience to execute, you should pay for operations. If you think you want to learn on the job and you have the time to learn on the job, sure, go do it on yourself. But when you're paying for operations. You're paying for a high probability of success when executed, right? It's kind of like when you plan your wedding, you can choose to go with the wedding planner who just started their business today, or you can choose to go with the wedding planner that's been in business for 10 years, has 100 Google reviews. You're paying for a successful outcome, right? right? A high probability successful outcome. So depending on where you are in your journey, if you are 21 and you're just starting off your first business, sure, you probably have a lot of time to make mistakes. If you're 35 and your life savings is in your brand new business, I would argue it might not be worth the risk for you to continue thinking you can do it on your own and 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 really trying to execute operations and marketing operations on your own. That's good advice. Thank you so much, Nathan. Where can listeners go to connect with you? Sure. So as I mentioned, I have an Instagram real channel called fya.marketingbytes with a Y. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Nathan Young. I should show up pretty high. And if not, also you can find me on my website at www.findyouraudience.online. Thank you so much. I'll put links to all of those in the show notes as well, but it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much, Victoria. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Guest Podcast today. I'll talk to you again in the next episode.